Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for inviting me to come. And also, um, just want to say from the off that I'm really thankful for the support that River Church that you give to Sutton Community Works. Uh, Steve mentioned jokingly that it's like a second home for me. Well, we do uh, have our office here. Um, We're here a few days a week. And also recently you've been um, hosting the Winter Shelter. So we're really thankful for that and and also for the support you give to the charity. And at the back, I've got a display board about some of our projects. So um, we are praying today about how to align our hearts with the community. So there are some ready-made community projects you can uh, align your hearts with straight away. Um, I've been, just so you know who I am, I've been in the borough since 1998. So I've been here 22 years. And I came here to lead a church on St. Helier. And then over the years, that's morphed into leading Sutton Community Works, which is a charity um, ministering into the community, working very closely with the police and the council and other partners. So that's who I am. Um, And I did have hair when I first arrived 22 years ago. (laughs) Um, And I've got a photograph to prove it. So, um, yeah, I just felt as we were worshipping, two things really. Whenever we've done prayer and fasting over the years, when I've led a church or myself personally, um, you shouldn't be surprised that things surface and come up. And I felt this morning there was, felt like there was lots of stuff bubbling um, in people's lives. Um, So we shouldn't be surprised about that because we're coming into God and we're saying, God, we want you to do things in our life. And I'm also conscious that uh, when you get a talk that says how to align yourselves with the community, that some of you may jump at that and think, I'm really excited. And others may think, you know what, Um, does he realize I've got a family? Does he realize I've got a job? Does he realize I'm very busy? I'm I'm also very committed in my church. And how do I really align myself with the community? It feels like uh, a lot to ask, and I'm feeling quite tired, and I'm feeling a bit weary. And we've had a few of those words this morning, haven't we, about feeling a bit weary and a bit tired, and um, a sense of... uh, you know, coming into a place of refreshment. So I guess I want to start off by saying that uh, the answer to how do we align ourselves with the community is Jesus. Uh, I sound like a good Sunday school student, don't I? <laughs> Who, everything every answer you give is Jesus. But really, the answer is Jesus. Um, and I'm not being trite. I could just literally sit down now and say, if you really want to If we want to align our hearts with the community, the answer is Jesus, having Jesus first and foremost in our lives. So I thought, though, first of all, I probably won't stop there because um, that's quite a short short message, really, isn't it? Um, But yeah, I'm just thinking, if we say, what is our community? So if I was to say to you, my talk is about aligning our hearts with the community. What is our community? So what is your community? You know, what, how would you answer that? What are some of the communities that you have? For me, Sutton Community Works is straightforward. It's the borough of Sutton, and it's doing things across the churches that we, no church can do by themselves. So the winter shelter, street pastors, food bank. But if we're talking to you as individuals and as a church, what is your community? You know, how would you answer that? And as individuals, we have lots of overlapping communities, don't we? This is a community of people. You've got your neighbourhoods. Uh, If you go to the gym, that's a community. If you're a mum or a dad at the school gates, that's another community. Maybe you go to the pub, that's a community. Uh, Maybe you go to some other social thing, that's a community. So there's lots of different communities. But I guess as a church, you'll be thinking, 
about that in terms as a church. You know, what is the River Church? What is the community? What are the communities that we're reaching out into? So I just wanted to throw that up as a, uh, as a first uh, thing to think about, really, because we're, we're living in a, a day where John Wesley, when he was asked the question, he said, my whole, the whole world is my parish. Now, clearly, um, you know, that's true, isn't it? Wherever we go on the earth as Christians, that is our mission field. But the reality is we live in Sutton, and the reality is I live on St. Helier, so my immediate community is St. Helier. Um, and, and, and then I've got the borough, and maybe I go to things across London, and then you've got family and friends across the UK and across the world, so your community is, is multifaceted, isn't it? So, so that's the first thing to throw out. Uh, the second thing I really wanted us to think about was how do we, uh, how do we tune into, into God? So how do we tune into God? And um, I guess for me, um, and I was thinking about this this morning, and with, with somebody like Steve on the front row, who's uh, you know, got a great background in sound technology, using the word white noise, I'm open to being uh, <laughs> severely corrected. I, I've understood white noise to be um, something that's there that sort of obscures other noises. That's how I've understood it. Um, it's kind of... And I looked on the internet this morning just to... Because I had a... You know when you doubt yourself? Um, and it was basically having uh, frequencies that obscure other noises. So it actually helps you to sleep if you have white noise. But in the context of what we're talking about this morning, I think it's a metaphor for me. So how do we eliminate the noise that obscures the voice of God? That's what I'm using it as. So whether I'm right or wrong on my definition of white noise, how do we get rid of the background noise uh, that obscures the voice of God in our lives? And I think prayer and fasting is a wonderful way of doing that. Um, fasting uh, is easy, isn't it? <laughs> it's not designed to be easy, because basically you're letting go of the physical desires. And one definition of fasting is letting go of the visible and laying hold of the invisible. So letting go, letting go of those things which are visible in our lives and laying hold of the invisible, so the things of God. So letting go of food, preparation of food, uh, letting go of the normal things that we might do, uh, TV, Netflix, reading that book, you know, just allowing yourself a time where you can get rid of some of the white noise, the background noise, and try to tune into God. don't know about you, but when you fast, that sometimes when you fast, you do feel that sharpening of the senses during the fast. Sometimes when you fast, it feels like, like you just want to finish the fast. But after the fast, you feel that sharpening, that sharpening of the senses. It feels like you've, got a, you're, you've cleared away some of the the background noise, and you can start to hear from God. And the other thing that helps us with that is, is the Word of God. You know, the Word of God, it's, it's here to renew our minds, and it's also to get rid of some of that noise. You know, I, I, when I read, and I do read the newspapers, I, I do try to keep in touch with current affairs and the news, but I'm also conscious that there's a real left-leaning bias in the press and in the media um, that, that, that wants to tell you how to think about things and wants to tell you you can't say certain things and can't think certain things because if you do, you're a certain kind of person. And I think uh, we need to look at what the Word of God has to say. And the Word of God helps us to get in the mind of Christ and to get beyond some of the noise that comes from the media and, dare I say, from some aspects of the church who want to speak certain things and tell us how to think and how to say about certain things. And so the Bible for me is really important that it's about renewing our minds 
It's about getting the mind of Christ. And so, as you had this week of prayer and fasting, it's a fantastic opportunity, isn't it, to um, actually listen to God. And I love the way you set up the prayer room upstairs. It's, it's, it's great. And I went up the stairs this morning and stole a Bible. Um, because you get used to coming to churches with your technology and you forget to bring your Bible. It's terrible, isn't it? Um, but it's lovely that you have the Bible up there and there's uh, all sorts of aids to pray and it's a comfortable environment and you can pray and you can actually take some time out to hear from God. So I really commend you to do that. I want to think this morning um, about a passage of Scripture. And uh, it's a passage that you will have uh, seen and read many times. And it's from Luke 10, 38-42. to And we know the story. It's about Mary and Martha. And traditionally, some people have interpreted this story as Mary is the, is the devoted one to Jesus, and Martha is the one that's uh, you know, busy doing stuff. Um, and, and there's that kind of sometimes uh, binary view of that particular scripture. If you don't know much about Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha lived in a place called Bethany. It's about two miles from Jerusalem. They had a brother called Lazarus. And we read in John chapter 11, in John chapter 11, that Lazarus was sick, and Mary and Martha sent to Jesus and said, come, because our brother is sick. And Jesus, bizarrely, stayed in the same place for about two days, really laid back. I mean, talk about not being hurried by other people's uh, agendas. He he didn't rush. And when he gets there, uh, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And uh, we get to the point where Jesus um, says, let's take away the stone. And Martha says, well, surely that's not a good thing because he, in the old translation, his body stinketh. You know, it stinks because it would do. It would, would have decomposed. And it's quite interesting that when Jesus comes, when Jesus comes to uh, Bethany, that uh, it's Martha that comes out to him first. You know, this view of Martha as being not the devoted one and just being the one that does the stuff. She comes out to Jesus first. And the first thing she says to Jesus in John chapter 11 is, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And then she goes on and says this wonderful thing, but even now, I know that you could do something for him. Isn't that great faith? Fantastic faith. Her her brother's dead, but she knows that Jesus can do something. And then Jesus calls for Mary. Mary comes, and Mary says almost exactly the same thing. Mary says, uh, had you been here, he wouldn't have died. A real sense of faith. And so that's Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And we know the story that Lazarus is raised from the dead. And then we go into John chapter 12, and it says that there was a feast given in Jesus' honor. And it was at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And there we we read that it says that Martha served. So again, we come back to Martha serving. Do you ever feel like that's what you do? You serve? Well, that's good. That's a good place to be. Martha served. And then we read that Mary comes in. And what does Mary do? She takes oil and she anoints Jesus' feet with the oil. Not his head, but his feet. And then she wipes his feet with her hair. She wipes her feet with with her hair. I don't know whether you're scandalized by that. You should be. You know, we've got used to this story, but really... In the first century, women, children, and dogs were considered second-class citizens. And the rabbis would treat them that. They wouldn't even speak to a a woman. They wouldn't do that. But here we have 
a woman actually at the feet of Jesus, actually wiping his feet with her hair. That is pretty scandalous. I was trying to think of something scandalous in today's world, but this world's got so de-scandalized that anything goes. So, but you know what I mean? It, it is amazing that this happened. And so we have this story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So we go back to John 10, 38 to 42. And we see this particular aspect. And I want to just move on to the next slide if we can. And I don't know whether you have seen this painting, but it's by Diego Velasquez, and it hangs at the National Gallery. And it's, it's, a, it's a painting of Mary and Martha. And what I want us to do, just for a few minutes, if, if, you're, if you can break into groups of three and four, and I want you to engage with this for a few seconds. I just want you to think, what is going on here? How, does, how do you think Martha's feeling about Mary? And, I mean, it probably is fairly obvious <laughs> from the painting. But the second and more important question is, how can I navigate this tension between doing and being? Because in the painting, we've got Martha in her traditional pose that she's been represented as doing, and then you've got, in the background, Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. So just for a few moments, if you can break into threes and fours, and particularly the second question, how can I navigate that tension uh, between doing and being, between serving and actually sitting at the feet of Jesus? So if you do that for a few minutes, and I'll call us back together, so you just get into threes and fours and chat. Okay, so if we can um, come back together, that would be really good. Great. So um, I'm not going to ask you to feed back, because I think some of the purpose of that was for you just to talk and to share that amongst each other. If we can just go back to the previous slide with the scripture on it. I just wanted to say three things, really, from the, the passage uh, that, that I think are worth, worth noting just for our own lives. First thing is that uh, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and that's the pose of a disciple, of a learner. So she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I guess that's what the passage is saying to me, is that that's where Jesus wants us to be. So how do we align our hearts with God, with the community? Is first and foremost being at the feet of Jesus. Secondly, that uh, serving is not bad. I mean, Sutton Community Works is all about serving. This church wouldn't run without worship, without the tea and the coffee, without all the serving that goes on. But what we note from the scripture is that Martha was distracted by all the preparations she had to make. So she was allowing all the serving to distract her from the real thing, which was Jesus. Do we find ourselves getting distracted? It's very easy in ministry and in life, isn't it, to be distracted. Uh, we heard that. We've heard that a bit this morning. And to actually, the third thing is that Martha comes to Jesus and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Have you ever had that? Uh, maybe in a family where you say to your parents, you know, get my brother to, or my sister to do the dishes or help me do this. And it's interesting that Jesus, he doesn't sort of cave in he doesn't cave in. So Martha's telling him 
what to do. Mary is listening to what Jesus wants her to do. But Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So it's not that serving is wrong. It's just that serving needs to come from the right place. And Mary chose to sit at the feet of Jesus. And really serving and tuning into what God wants for the community needs to come from that place of relationship with Jesus at the center. And I don't know about you, but I think one of the biggest challenges of our day is being distracted. Anyone get distracted? Uh, Let me just check my mobile phone. I just need to check. (laughs) But we do it all the time, don't we? We are a most distracted age. Um, And something the Lord, when I had a sabbatical last year, I really felt I had about six or seven books I wanted to read, and I read none of them. And I felt the Lord led me to read books about Sabbath and rest and and, uh, actually that relationship with God rather than all the other stuff that that we do. And I'm reading a book at the moment, which in fact I shared with Steve the other day, and I think he's either reading it or read it, uh, by John Mark Cromer, and it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, If you haven't got it, I really recommend it. And the book is written by a megachurch pastor, so he had about, I don't know, 12 or 14 sites, that kind of thing. He's young, he's in his 30s, um, and basically he had got into the place where he'd lost sight of Jesus in his life. And his mentor was a guy called John Ortberg, who wrote the book uh, about getting out the boat. And John Ortberg had a mentor called Dallas Willard, who wrote the book about uh, spiritual disciplines and the Sermon on the Mount, and a you know, really insightful guy. And John Ortberg, the book is based on the fact John Ortberg had a conversation with Dallas Willard and said to Dallas Willard, what one thing, what's the most important thing I can do to become all that Jesus wants me to be? And Dallas Willard was very quiet for a moment, and quite often these godly guys, they go silent on you, don't they? And you kind of think, has he heard me? But he was actually thinking, and he said, the ruthless elimination of hurry. And that's where the book came from, because he was saying to be more like Jesus, we need to have that ruthless elimination of hurry. Not busyness, because Jesus was busy, but not being hurried. And we saw in the passage in John that Jesus is not hurrying to get back to Lazarus. So he's not being driven by other people's agendas. So aligning ourselves with the community is also about hearing what is on God's heart? Where does God want us to be at any particular time? Also in the book, it mentioned, there's a few other quotes which I find really fascinating, is that Corrie Ten Boom, who is quite famous, uh, once said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And I get that. I get that. There's a kind of busyness that can take you away from the things of God. Bill Hybels, uh, we're familiar with Bill Hybels, he famously spoke about chair time, having that time each day with God, just setting aside intentional time uh, with God. And one of the books I was reading during my sabbatical was by Peter Scazzaro called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Emotionally Healthy Leadership. And some of the things he says in that book are about being intentional. So one of the things he's very hot on is having a Sabbath, having a day each week where we draw a line in the sand and we say, we're not going to work, we're not going to get anxious, we're not going to shop, we're not going to do all the things that we normally do. And Walter Brueggemann, in his book, Sabbath as Resistance, said that actually the Sabbath is resistance to the culture of work and anxiety and of hurry and of being busy and of doing all this stuff. So that's what I wanted to encourage us in this morning, that actually 
It's about stepping back and drawing some lines in the sand. If we want to align with what God wants, it's actually trying to hear from God. So just for a moment, just before we move on from this one point, I would like us, you don't have to turn to him at this moment, so you can relax. Just for a moment, just sit there and think, what one thing can I do this week to make my uh, relationship with God more intentional? What one thing can I do this week to give more space to my relationship with God? What one thing can I do to create that space for God in my life so that I can be like Mary, uh, sitting at the feet of Jesus in the position of the disciple, the learner? So just for a moment, just have a think. What one thing could I do? There's lots of things we've mentioned, but what one thing could you do this week? What, thing, what one thing will you do this week? Okay, so um, if you haven't been able to think of something, then you can obviously think later. Uh, or if you're sitting there thinking, well, actually, I'm in a really good place with God at the moment, so I don't need to do anything, that's great too. It's wonderful. In case you think I'm not going to speak about the community, <laughs> I am. But I just wanted to lay that foundation because to me it's really, really important that in all that we do, that we hear from God. Uh, you'll be aware that Joanna, I don't think she's here this morning, but Joanna works with me. Um, I did ask her whether I could share this, by the way, just so don't start feeling uncomfortable. But she applied for the job uh, three times. Uh, first time five years ago, and she didn't get it, but she was down to the last two. Um, the second time she applied last year, and she was down to the last two, and she didn't get it. I think it takes a lot of guts to come back twice, doesn't it? Um, and that said a lot, and we were really close. And in the end, it, it was my decision, um, you know, in, in terms of the panel. And I, f I felt a real kind of weight about the decision, um, because it was, you know, somebody's life, isn't it? And somebody comes back twice, that's quite hard. But that being said, I, had to, I was trying to hear, you know, God, what are you saying? What's the right thing for Sutton Community Works? Um, take away the emotion, take away the white noise. And I prayed, I fasted about it, and each time I prayed and thought about it, it came back, it had to be the other person. And then when I came back off my sabbatical, the other person had resigned. <laughs> and I really felt it was the right time to go back to Joanna. And if you chat to her about this, she will say it was the right time for her. And the reason why I share that, and I did ask her permission, I, the reason why I share that story is because it really is important in these things to get what God's saying. And sometimes we really don't understand. Sometimes we want something different. Sometimes it's really hard. There's lots of things tied up. But it's about hearing God, getting rid of the white noise and, and hearing God, even though sometimes we don't understand. As I look back, it was the, all, all the decisions we made were right. But at the time, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you're trying to tune in to what God wants. But just a few things about the community. So first of all, and I know that a number of years ago when you were Sutton Family Church, this was a scripture that you had, I think, which was Matthew 25, about serving the poor, feeding the hungry, uh, giving shelter, visiting those in prison. The reality is, is that you and I could walk down Sutton High Street and see need every single day. So the need is there. The reality is there's need all around us. And the challenge is we, as Christians, do need to respond to that as, as far as we're able. But as a church, it's difficult, and as a charity, something Community Works, we can't respond to every single need. You can't do that, because it's a bit like Martha. She's distracted by her serving. She, you're pulled in every different direction. So you have to be more strategic. 
So I think as a church, River Church, and as a charity, we can't respond to every need. You know, we can't go into the prisons and deal with the addictions and do the homeless stuff and do the food bank and street pastors. Maybe in the future, but at, at, at this given moment, you have to respond strategically to what you're doing. So we do need to respond to needs as far as we're able, but we have to do it with God, God's timing. The needs do give us a clue. You've been great partners with the Winter Shelter. Uh, you've got people sitting in this congregation here this morning who were actually on the Winter Shelter this morning and last night. So really thankful for that. Um, and really thankful for Steve um, and Rob. I mean, they're hearts are so gracious and giving uh, you know you, you've got great pastors I have to say that. I don't have to say that but I'm saying it because you have got great pastors I with them in the office and they are gracious I mean they are they that's who they are they don't just put it on on Sunday morning they are there during the week they are great pastors um, and they've been so giving about using this building and so that's been fantastic but if I tell you that we first started thinking about the winter shelter seven years ago, I had conversations with the council, I even went to Croydon Council, I went to shelters in Kingston, Croydon, and it just didn't feel that it was the right timing for us to do it. And then in November 2018, with conversations with Housing Justice, drew church leaders together, suddenly, and Steve, I think you were at that meeting as well at the Dolphin, suddenly it just felt like it was the right timing. And then within a month we had funding, we had venues, we had uh, Jan, who's done such a great job, Jan Ghani, uh, appointed, she'd come back off holiday, came to the training because she wanted to volunteer, um, and then <laughs> decided to lead the project in a paid role, and has done it this time as well. It is God's timing. So the needs are there, the needs have been there for seven years, but actually it's when you step out of the boat, you step out of the boat when Jesus calls you out of the boat. You step out of the boat uh, when it's the right timing in, under God. We could have tried to do it four or five years ago. Maybe God would have honoured it. You know, God honours our you know, enthusiasm. But it was definitely the right timing to do it when we did it. And now we've just had, tonight is the last night of the winter shelter. That's nine weeks. We were due to finish two weeks ago. And the volunteers and uh, the venue host and the churches have all said yes to continuing it. And we've, I think every single person within the shelter would have been accommodated, apart from a couple that, for various reasons, can't be. And that, I think, is a good result, isn't it? And that's a God thing. The other thing I would say is, you know, when we're trying to align our hearts with the community, is being faithful in small things. Because as we're faithful in small things, God gives you bigger things. And I'll just give you a simple example that when I was leading the church on St. Helier, um, my heart was to um, see it grow. And so um, I was full-time, and yet everybody else in my church was either working or not able to work. And, and I thought, sometimes I thought, what am I doing during the daytime? Because it's like, you know, you do your church stuff, um, you do your pastoring, but there's still time. So I thought, well, I'm going to go out on the streets so I'd go up to Rose Hill and I'd stand outside shops with leaflets and just sort of chat to anyone that came out. Um, and yeah, it's really bizarre. I mean, one time I was chatting outside this off license, this lady came out with a big anorak on and um, she stopped and then I gave her the thing and, and then I went to see her later and she said, do you, you realise that when you were giving me that, 
I'd actually just been shoplifting from the shop and I had my, <laughs> all the stuff in there. Um, but I remember coming across this lady, and she was Nigerian, and she worked at the hospital, and, and my heart was to see Jesus shared. And this lady said to me, you know what, there's people at the hospital, including myself, who can't make church services because of our shifts. How about coming up to the hospital and doing something there? So for 18 months on a Wednesday night, I would go up to the hospital chapel and we would have a group of uh, mostly ladies from the Philippines and from Africa and we'd have a, a midweek uh, group for those people. I share that because that is God. You know, he, if you're faithful in small things, he gives you other things to, to go into. So I just want to encourage you in that. If you, sometimes we're looking for you know, what, what is God doing? Where's that next big thing? But if you're faithful in what is in front of you, God gives you that next thing. The other thing I would say is, uh, this is the final thing I'm going to say before we finish, is what are your gifts and passions? So I know Steve shared last week about delighting yourself in the Lord, and the Lord will give you the desires of your hearts. I kind of read that in two ways. You know, he will give you the desi- your desire, what you're desiring, but I think he will also give you his desires for your heart. So there's two ways of interpreting that. But what, what are your gifts and passions? If I was to say to you right now, Heather, I'm not going to because I would put you on the spot, but Heather, <laughs> no, I'm, I won't do that. Rob, Rob, because Rob's, he'll, he'll answer. I'm sure Heather would too, actually. Um, but what, what would you say your gift and passion is? Sorry, I'm putting you on the spot here. Wonderful. Wonderful. He's very good. That's really good. I shouldn't do this, really. Sorry, I repent of putting people on the spot. Um, But the point I'm making is that, you know, we're all a bit shy about our gifts and passions, but actually we do have gifts and passions, don't we? We have have things that God has laid upon our hearts. And when we're thinking about how we align ourselves with the community, if I I don't have a a pastoring heart, then I don't think God's necessarily going to use me to pastor people. If I'm not somebody who's very practical, I don't think God's necessarily use me to do the practical stuff. What is your passion? Because God wants to use that passion uh, in, in the community. God wants to use that. So what are your gifts and passion? So you don't have to be somebody else. You can be you. I mean, Rob does speak to anybody. He speaks to me. So that's... Uh, no, but but he, he does. He speaks to anybody. And he's got a pastor's heart. And he's a teacher. And you know, the same with Steve. You know teacher and a pastor what what are your gifts and passions how can you use that for uh, the community before i came into ministry i worked in uh, business and uh, sometimes i'd go into the work and i'd pray lord use me in the workplace and sometimes i didn't because i forgot um, and it gets busy but i remember my heart was i wanted to see people in the workplace know jesus um, and when I came in on a Monday morning and people spoke about the weekends, I didn't have any fear about talking about what I did because, you know, they spoke about what they did and then I'd talk about what I did. And so one of the things that I really prayed into in the workplace was how could we reach out to people in the workplace? 
And so for me, my, my heart, my passion was to see people come to know Jesus. So we set up a Christian union in this workplace in Croydon, where I was working, in this office. And we used to meet, and then we would put events on, like at Christmas, we'd invite a speaker from a Christian church to come in. Or we'd have a series of events on, like, creation versus evolution, or euthanasia. And we'd, have, and we'd, we'd attract people to those things, because they wanted to come. And the reason why I'm showing that is because I just want to encourage you, if you, you know, with your gifts and passions, wherever you are, God wants to use your gifts and passions to serve the community. Not my gifts, but your gifts and passions to serve the community. And I'm sure in River Church, there's lots of opportunities for you to use your gifts and passions and step into the community. So as we finish, I want to encourage us not to feel burdened by you know, this whole idea of what I've got to do in the community. There are lots of opportunities to serve. I mean, Sutton Community Works, your church is doing stuff, your church has a heart for the community, uh, you do f- things around the football and invite people in and Alpha and things like that. In your neighbourhoods, you have a heart for your neighbourhoods, you invite people into your home. So there's lots of opportunities to do that. But I want to come back to the place I started, which is you know, to take the pressure off, to actually say, you know, let's go back to the place of sitting with Jesus. What does Jesus want me to do? What does he want me to do? How can I listen to... I want to spend time just listening to Jesus. Perhaps not even with an agenda. Just spend time with Jesus. Mary just wanted to sit there at the feet of Jesus and receive from him. So no agenda. Don't even, like, Lord, you've got to tell me how I can serve the community. But just being in his presence. I think we had in the prayer time this morning, uh, Steve had a song. And it was um, to be in your presence, wasn't it? Um, And I think that just kind of sums up where I'm coming to, to be in your presence. No agendas, just hearing from God. So I'm going to finish there, and I think it's a good opportunity to go into communion, just to spend time quietly before the Lord. No, no agendas, just receiving from the Lord. The early church fathers said of the communion that it's like medicine for the soul. So as we take the bread and wine, it is like medicine for the soul. We're remembering what Jesus did. And there is a spiritual transaction that goes on as we take the bread and wine. I'm going to hand back to Steve if that's okay.